Well, it's day 327 of quarantine and parents, here's where we are. Grandma and granddad still can't find the vaccine. Your first grader has learned how to unlock their iPad by themselves. And where exactly are we supposed to go for spring break? Welcome to episode three of PDQ, Parenting During Quarantine. I'm Sarah Croco, and I'm joined as always by my longtime friend and colleague, Leah Windsor. Hello, Leah. Great to be here again, Sarah. Well, three episodes under our belt, I guess this makes us real podcasters. I think so. It's hard to believe we've made it this far, but as I said to my six-year-old when they started sleeping soundly through the night, why don't we make this a regular thing? I love it. And to take us into episode three, we have a very special guest. I'm so pleased to welcome my favorite pediatrician, Dr. Chris Hansen. Dr. Hansen is a Memphis native who studied medicine at the University of Tennessee. He was chief resident at Lebanon Children's Hospital for two years, and since 2001, he's practiced at Laurelwood Pediatrics, where he's done an awesome job looking after my kids and me. Welcome, Dr. Hansen. Thank you so much. It's so nice for you guys to invite me, and I'm just so pleased to be here. So, Dr. Hansen, as parents, we have made these huge changes in our lives to protect our families, but so many of us are worried about the effect this altered existence is having on our kids. What types of physical, emotional, and psychological problems are you seeing in children since the start of the pandemic? Wow, I think that question kind of maybe changes over time, if that makes sense. Uh, certainly, in our area, since maybe around Christmas, the the calls and concerns about things like anxiety and acting out and all of those type things really seem to be a lot more than they were even last year. I was talking to a psychologist friend of mine uh, in the office uh, maybe last week, and he said he saw those things starting to show up a lot sooner than, than we did. I guess we saw some of it, but it seems like it's escalated an awful lot as the months have gone on and as we round into 2021 and everybody hoped this would all be behind us by now. What kind of behaviors are you seeing and what are you telling parents? What are parents asking? You know, I think it depends on age, Leah. Um, mm -hmm. the, the younger ones, but you'll see things that are just like more temper tantrums, more kind of acting out at home, uh, those kind of things that it sounds like you guys are hearing about it and seeing it <laughs> at your own houses. Uh, when you get into uh, the high school, middle school kind of kind of age range, boy, those those kids just want to be around friends a lot more than they're able to, and that's coming mm -hmm. out whether it's it comes out in grades, school stress. Uh, I don't care about virtual school anymore. Uh, it's just not turning in my assignments. Some of that kind of behavior. I had a, a tenth grader in the office not too long ago who told me. I think I've just committed myself to the idea I'm going to have to do 10th grade over because I'm mm -hmm. not really learning anything. And this year's just going nowhere. And, and that really was, was sad for me. It was probably kind of realistic on his mind to be able to say that. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but yeah, it, yeah, the kids, especially the older ones are realizing that this is really having a big impact. I think it helps if, uh, if, they're able to see that light at the end of the tunnel that we're all kind of starting to see. Uh, that idea of there may be a return to normal at some point, and there actually will be a return to normal at some point. Uh, and, and that I think that's helpful to them. And when they get little little breaks that remind them of that, it's good. So can we talk more about that light at the end of the tunnel? What gives research, what kind of like research or science news have you read about or encountered as part of being a pediatrician that gives you the most hope and optimism? So I think the most hope ultimately comes from vaccine. Uh, I think that's that is the way that our society gets out of this mess that we're in. Um, that that's ultimately the answer. Um, 
I guess without the vaccine, this would have been just like hang on for a whole bunch of years like they did back in the flu epidemic of 1918. And, and we'll be able to pass this quicker than that, than that was able to because of the vaccine. So that's the ultimate uh, main hope. Uh, there's small hopes too. Uh, as you know, at this point, cases have gone down fairly nicely across the country probably for a variety of reasons, but at least gives us this little bit of hope that we're not in the, the great big cloud of, uh, of dread and seeing so many deaths and so many hospitalizations and so forth that we were seeing around Christmas time. So I had read that um, Dr. Fauci said that um, even kindergartners might be able to get the vaccine by next August. Um, what, what's, your, what's your thinking about that? I've been quietly telling parents in the office that I've been thinking about August. And so when he came out and agreed with me, it was really nice. <laughs> he heard you. Uh, yeah, he must have. No, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think the the headline, if you will, almost writes itself, right? So we'll be at the point where we'll have plenty of vaccine in our country by then. Uh, the, the latest agreements that the administration has made with uh, some of the vaccine companies have us now at, at 600 million doses by the end of July that will be delivered. Mm-hmm. Uh, that means 300 million people will have been able to be vaccinated. And that means we've got enough to start including kids in that in that list. Uh, the safety data is obviously not there yet. I fully expect that it will come. Um, the Pfizer now has a study going uh, for 12 to 15 year olds. That should be wrapping up fairly soon. That's been going on a couple months. They've also gone ahead and announced that the next study will be uh, age five to 11. So we'll see that that entering really soon. So when, when you look at those studies, they'll be a little faster than the adult studies were. Basically, they'll do phase one and phase two, but they won't do phase three. And just to clarify that a little bit, phase one studies, when it comes to vaccines, talk about safety. Is it safe to give this vaccine to this age group? And then phase two looks at, does the person have an immune response to the vaccine, measuring antibodies or something along those lines? And then phase three is basically, does the vaccine then protect against actual disease? Mm -hmm. So it'll be difficult, if not unethical, to do phase three at that point with with the kids. And so what they'll end up doing is phase one to make sure it's safe, phase two to make sure they have a similar immune response to the adults. Then, Then we'll go to phase three, which basically will say if the human body responds with antibodies in a way that prevents disease, then we'll assume that children do that also. So I just wanted to, I'm loving all this information. This is so awesome. Um, Thank you for sharing with us. I just wanted to follow up. So like my pediatrician for my kids, you know, he wishes that they had started these trials in kids much earlier, you know, like once they had Uh, safety data for that first group, you know, he's like, why are we waiting? I mean, you know, like him, you know, he's mainly concerned with the younger part of the population and he wants to make sure that his patients are safe. And it's just, you know, I think a lot of people asked him as he relayed to me that why can't they just give the same shot that they given to me to my kid? And I guess the, is it mainly a safety concern, but also that a kid's immune system isn't necessarily going to function in the same way. And if that's the case, have there been vaccines like, you know, once they make an adult vaccine, 
does it often require like a whole redrafting of it to make it safe for kids? Or is it more like backing down the amount of material that's in the vaccine? Like kind of, if you can just give us a brief overview of like how kid vaccines are typically different from adult versions. Sure. So, um, so as it turns out, the doses are actually almost always the same. The one exception there would be flu vaccine, which for kids under three, they get half of the dose of kids above three or adults. Beyond that, pretty much exactly the same. Um, yeah, I was going to circle back around again to resilience, um, you know, because kids have been out of school for so long and the ups and downs of, yes, we're going back to school, no, no we're not going back to school and um, screen time fatigue and parental stress. Um, so all of this, do you think that, I mean, there's a lot of good evidence to suggest that kids are resilient, um, but how resilient and what do we need to be concerned about and, and what do we do about it? Yeah, I think that's a great question, Leah. And I think, yes, kids are super resilient. And I think it's extremely likely that most of them are going to bounce back without any real uh, difficulties mm-hmm. uh, once, once we get kind of back to, quote, more normal. I think uh, we'll probably see the older high school kids maybe more long-term affected. Uh, it's, it's tough if this whole pandemic makes it hard for you to look for the college that you want to find or uh, to take your ACT at the right time and maybe perform as well as you were hoping to. Uh, for our own kids, it's tough when you're looking at applying to grad school in a year that maybe a lot of people didn't apply to grad school last year and there's more folks that are trying to get in this year. So those kind of things seem to uh, affect the older ones more. I think the younger ones will will bounce back really, really nicely. Parents have also asked a lot about resilience from an immune system standpoint, meaning, uh, hey, if we're all staying in our houses now and we're not exposed to other people, then is that going to put our immune systems behind when it comes to fighting regular common illnesses? And I think the answer is maybe briefly, but kids are pretty resilient there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe the example is the, the age-old debate of, do I send my kids to daycare so they can get exposed to everything so that they get sick, so that then they don't get sick when they go to kindergarten, versus do I keep them at home and then they don't get sick when they're two, but then they get sick when they're five. So uh, I think the same thing applies the immune system is going to be able to handle that absence of exposure to other people and other uh, pathogens just fine. Mm -hmm. That reminds me of a question that I wanted to bring up that, you know, like all diseases, you know, that are in, that become pandemics, some of them can become endemic, right? Where they kind of exist in the population for a long time. Uh, And I I think it was a New York times or Washington post article said that, you know, COVID is going to be this new childhood illness but that once adults are vaccinated, you know, hopefully there'll be a lot of herd immunity among adults, but that this will just be something that kids catch, like other coronaviruses that kids are exposed to when they're very young. Do you see that happening? As And that's kind of like not a major thing to be worried about because as we've seen, most kids tend to do okay when they're infected with COVID or what are your thoughts on, you know, kind of kids catching this and it being you know, with us for the years to come as something that kids are going to be vulnerable to going forward. 
so this is one of those areas that I have to say, boy, I'm not an epidemiologist or a virologist, so I'm not completely sure. My gut instinct on this one is I think it's going to be around a few years, but I don't think it's going to be around ad infinitum. I don't know that it's going to really become that that kind of an endemic kind of thing. Um, I've been telling folks in the office lately, I think we'll probably be getting COVID vaccines maybe annually or some with some regularity for a few years but I don't think that's going to be something that's going on the rest of our lives, like flu vaccines, for example. So just to follow up on the uh, what we were talking about before about resiliency and, you know, maybe some people want to have their child seen by a specialist, you know, over this past year, so many families have basically shut down activity outside their house. And so do we still, you know, should we still be going to these annual well visit or well child visits with our kids, you know, taking them to a therapist, uh, something like a specialty, like maybe if they have like an orthopedic injury or an orthodontist, you know, basically is the doctor's office a safe place to be right now if the parents and the kids aren't yet vaccinated? I think probably that depends a little bit on the importance of the particular evaluation. So I think uh, dentist visits could be an important or an interesting question. For example, I usually, uh, my patients usually start seeing the dentist at age three. And so some of the ones that have just recently turned three, uh, who seem to have healthy teeth and are good at brushing their teeth, I've said, you know, that might be something that you do this fall. You still do it this year. Maybe it's not the very first thing that we're going to do right now that your child's three because of the pandemic. Um, But other things for example, a trip to the cardiologist to, to follow up on something that's been going on and needs annual follow-up, that could be really, really important. So I would say keep that stuff going. So maybe the scariest thing that I've seen and that um, has been talked about in our group is the multi-system inflammatory syndrome. Um, can you explain a little bit about this and how worried we should be? Yeah, so uh, so this was kind of seen as a, as a whole new thing that came up as part of, of COVID-19 and as part of the whole coronavirus epidemic. When it first started coming out, I think a lot of us were thinking, and a lot of pediatricians were thinking, this looks a lot like Kawasaki disease. Is this mm-hmm. just another p- potential cause for Kawasaki disease? And then it became clear it has some similarities to that particular illness, but it also has some differences as well. Basically, MISC is simply where the body's immune system is reacting in an unpredictable and unhealthy way uh, in response to the recent infection with with COVID-19. So different than uh, in the adult population where you worry about inflammation happening with the acute illness, with the kids, it's usually a more delayed uh, event. Mm -hmm. Some of the patients that have had MISC and been diagnosed, at least in our community, in fact, maybe many, um, had no recollection of being infected with coronavirus. And so it was only when they had some unusual symptom uh, that they were evaluated and then found to have antibodies that indicate they did, in fact, have infection that led to this particular uh, syndrome or illness. Good news about MISC is uh, it seems to be very treatable. Uh, We've had one patient in particular that was fairly severely affected in our practice, a 14-year-old young lady uh, who ended up fairly sick in ICU, was administered some relatively new medicine, and recovered 
within the term of hours, not days or weeks. So, wow. uh, so the, thank, thankfully, there's been a lot done there about about treatment that's encouraging and should help people not be afraid of it necessarily. Um, I think it's important if your child is not recovering from either a known coronavirus illness or is having unusual symptoms, excessive tiredness, unusual fevers, um, headaches that seem unusual or last too long, it's important just to talk to your pediatrician. They're going to be very uh, well prepared to help you know if that's something you need to uh, investigate further or if it's something that's more routine. So Dr. Hansen, we built our Facebook group and we started this podcast to help parents get through this pandemic. Before we wrap up today, what are some common pieces of advice that parents are asking for and what are your suggestions to help families get through this? First thing I would say is, especially for the older kids, meaning older elementary school and above, don't be afraid to let them know what you're thinking and what your fears and your stresses are. You have to put in age appropriate terms, of course, but I think it's helpful for them to hear, hey, mom and dad were a little bit worried about one, two, or three items, and here's how we're dealing with that, and here's how we're walking through that. So uh, letting them know they're not the only ones that suffer from stress or lack of sleep or those kind of things. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, do it in a way that doesn't create stress for them, but, but share that, that that's something you're going through. And maybe share some of the ways that you cope with stress as well. Uh, whether it's, uh, hey, I like to go and uh, and write, or I like to go and draw, or I like to go and play music, or I like to go on a walk, or whatever those things are that are that are soothing to you. Your kids have your genetics, so they're probably going to want to do something along the same lines. <laughs> I, I think that's very helpful. Um, I think it's important as we start moving forward the next few months to find opportunities for them to start having some interaction with other kids. Uh, sports in our area when it comes to outside sports have been really, really safe and really easy ways for kids to participate with each other without uh, creating excessive risk. Um, I think in fact, we've found the biggest times we've seen sports leading to uh, infections or quarantines or, or whatnot has actually been more the social aspects of sports, meaning like mm-hmm. before and after gatherings and those type things, not actually during a game or an event. So uh, there are definitely ways to be participating and to increase that participation, especially as we get into the warmer weather, the spring, and we're able to do those kind of things outside again. I think that's very helpful. You know, we've talked a lot about how to keep kids resilient and happy through this hard time. So w- when you make recommendations to parents, you know, what if they say, my kids want to go ride their bikes with the kids in the neighborhood or play with the next door neighbors? Is your general rule, yeah, you can do it if it's outside and everybody has a mask? Or what kind of advice do you give for how little kids, say like young elementary school, can interact with their friends? I was going to ask almost that same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Good. I, You know, I think the families that I've talked to that have done that most successfully have still done it with a as people kind of refer to a bubble group. So they find a small group of friends that kind of become the okay group that we're going to kind of share time with, whether it's a group, it makes most sense in the neighborhood, in a cove or something like that. That's been probably most successful with the least amount of stress to different families. I think it's the kids that want to do everything with everybody that there is in their fourth grade class that becomes a little bit more stressful. Mm-hmm. And so if parents have been taking typical precautions, I mean, I think some people don't know where to draw the lines with pods. Like, is this, I cannot 
work outside my house or, you know, like how, you know, but if people are taking reasonable precautions, like going to the grocery store with, you know, maybe double masking and limiting their time where they're exposed to others, is that kind of a good recipe for our baseline rather for like pod behavior? Like we're all taking these precautions. So then we will interact with this family as usual, like, or, you know, back before COVID hit, or is it still, we're all taking these precautions. So I feel safe interacting with these kids outside, you know, kind of, I, I think a lot of people get really concerned and want and look for bright lines, you know, like this behavior is safe. And I don't know if those exist. I, you know, I, we struggle with my own kids on this, you know, can mm-hmm. we, we try to take walks with neighbor kids, but we always put masks on. And then we're like, well, are we outside? Is this even necessary? You know, we always err on the side of caution but I also, I don't know, you know, if that's just my nervousness kicking in. And so I've been, we see other kids where they have formed a pod with other families where the parents still have to go to work and, you know, are taking all kinds of reasonable precautions, but the kids, you know, are in each other's houses without masks on. So I know it's a continuum, but like, what would you recommend to a parent and say, you know, their kid just wants to play with someone in the neighborhood? Would you say, just keep it outside or what's your general advice? So I think, I think it's a great question. I think we're going to be dealing with this question more and more as we get further down the vaccine road. And we're already seeing that in some maybe conflicting advice we see from different national uh, TV spokes folks or, or whatnot. I'll come back to that in just a second, but to more directly answer your question, I think at this point where we are in the pandemic, I think, yeah, outside, maybe parents with masks and kids may be allowed to be without masks. And, and it might be okay. I'd say I'd look for families that have similar philosophies as your family. Uh, and that kind of helps a little bit with that spectrum and that continuum that you, that you mentioned, because mm-hmm. we do make room for, yeah, every family is going to be a little different, but you're going to be most comfortable with other families that, that share the same risk level that you do. Mm-hmm. Kind of that's where it comes back to where this is going to be a changing question over time. And I think the question that I see on national media a lot is, okay, so grandparents have been vaccinated. Can they see the grandkids? And Mm -hmm. sometimes I've seen that frustrating. I've seen a few epidemiologists that have spoken and said, well, you can't get to a zero risk place, even if you've had the vaccine. So maybe it's okay if the grandparents quarantine for two weeks and the kids quarantine for two weeks, and then they get together with mask on and six feet. And I think other voices would start to say, okay, wait a minute, maybe we can rethink that a little bit at this point. When we're thinking about grandparents with kids, main risk is to the grandparents, not to the kids. And the vaccine has been shown to be exceedingly effective at preventing severe disease and very, very effective at preventing even mild disease. So we have a little bit higher level of of protection and comfort there than maybe, um, maybe, well, then definitely we did before. Let's put it that way. So I, th- I think we'll be walking down this path where more parents are vaccinated, more eventually kids are vaccinated, and we'll be a- answering those questions differently as time goes on. But I think it's important to remember zero risk is not attainable. And so that can't be the goal. Otherwise, we just stay in our house all the time and still ask the question of, I've been in my house all the time. Why did my kid get sick anyway with whatever normal kid illness? Oh, no, that's been such a mystery to me, too. Like my right. six-year-old has had like 104 degree fevers multiple times. And I'm like, 
where she doesn't see anyone outside our house. And the doctor's like, it is, it's just in the air. <laughs> like there are germs all over the place. Uh, and he's like, you think you're being careful, but you're not eliminating all germs. Like when you go to the grocery store, you do bring home things. It might not be COVID, but you're not, he's like, we're all just dirty humans walking around carrying germs. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's not unusual. And she's always been fine. Um, but it, what just living in this COVID era has been terrifying when you see your kids spike this huge fever. But yeah. Right. Yes. Yes. And and I th- oh, go ahead, Leah. Well, we had so many of the the same questions as, as Sarah's family has had because we've been incredibly conservative. I mean, it's just been the four of us here at home for the last year. It'll be one year on March 1st with no grandparents, no anybody, no, no respite, um, no windows, no doors. <laughs> We're just here. Um, and, you know, we were taking walks in the neighborhood and on the public trails and whatnot without masks. But then when the new variants um, mm-hmm. of, of COVID started that were more contagious, then we started masking universally when we go out, even if, you know, there's 10 feet between us and whoever passes us on the green line. So I think it's it's interesting. I don't know if you guys have observed in different cities, what at least I've observed here. At, and I think maybe, I think more people are just more comfortable with just masking. And I, I, I think that that's going to become a thing that kind of stays with us for a little while. So as a pediatrician, when this kind of came on the scene last year, mm-hmm. right, you know, maybe late 2019, or you know, were you like, what was kind of like the thought journey that you had when you saw, okay, this is largely affecting older people and you, given your job, right, are largely concerned with kids. Were you relieved? Were you puzzled? Like, what was it like in the early stages of the pandemic as a pediatrician where we didn't know what was happening yet? Was it just a total unknown? Or what What were your thoughts when this all hit? So I think maybe the very first thoughts were like a lot of folks. And we thought, oh, wow, these kind of things come up in Asia and they tend to become regional and they probably don't become pandemics because none of us had experienced that in our lifetimes. So so I'll admit that's where I felt very much not like a public health epidemiologist and, and, and learned very quickly that that was different. I think reality for me, as far as the pandemic hit, uh, the 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 night that the NBA shut down. Uh, Leah probably knows that I'm a big yeah. Grizzlies fan. Yes. <laughs> In fact, I, I, you can't see it on the podcast, but I'm wearing a Grizzlies sweatshirt now. <laughs> I figured. Uh, yeah, right. And yeah, that was when you realized, hey, this thing is going to shut down the NBA because the, they're not going to be able to play in a way that A, keeps them safe, but B, doesn't just shut down the whole league from a, a, a quarantine standpoint. And so uh, that that was a quick, I think, um, education for us. When it came to the kids, I think by the time the pandemic hit our shores of, of this country, I think it was pretty clear that it didn't seem to affect children as strongly and as severely. So we already had a pretty good level of comfort that that was going to be better uh, mm-hmm. for kids. We didn't know about MISC then. We didn't know about some of those implications. But but we already had the idea that the main concern about the kids was uh, how they might uh, affect their parents and their grandparents. One of my earliest families that had COVID, this was back probably in early June, um, had a three-year-old uh, who was involved and, and got COVID who is 
has fairly significant asthma. And it was very relieving to see COVID not cause his asthma to flare. Mm-hmm. And so that was, there was a little nervousness about some of those kids with comorbid and, and underlying conditions, but that was really reassuring seeing him walk through it without really any, any flare of his asthma at all. And that let us know, Hey, kids are pretty resilient. <laughs> Dr. Hansen, thank you so much for joining us. I wish Everybody had a pediatrician like you and like your office. Um, you guys have, you probably um, take care of parents as much as you take care of kids. Um, certainly the, the over-worriers like me. Um, so uh, if you've got any, if you want to plug the pediatrician's office or if you've got any, any causes or anything that you want to highlight, now's the time to do it. Well, I think I just follow up with that by saying, you know, I think for me and I think for most all pediatricians, uh, one, we signed up to help take care of parents like we take care of kids. (laughs) And two, our relationships with those families like yours is just really, really valuable to us. And it's what drives us. And so uh, so remember that your pediatrician enjoys those interactions. And uh, and I have great stories that I won't tell here about things that you've told me in the office that just really give me joy. So that's, that's wonderful. Um, yeah, our practice is Laurelwood Pediatrics here in Memphis. Um, I don't really have a lot to plug. We do have a website. Uh, most pediatricians do. Ours is www.laurelwoodpediatrics.com. Um, but I would say mostly uh, just reach out and trust your pediatrician and look to them for advice and whoever and wherever that is. I I think that person is in your life for a reason. And uh, don't imagine that they don't know who you are. Uh, Sometimes I'll have people uh, preface a a question or a conversation by saying, well, I know you have lots of patients, but, and what they don't realize is, yeah, I probably actually do remember them. And I actually know a little bit about their family. And I enjoy being asked those questions and being a part of their family's life. As my pediatrician said, he's like, I signed up for the 3 a.m. phone calls about a baby who won't stop crying. He's like, that's why I do this. So don't ever worry. That's exactly right. That's amazing. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, thank you so much for being here with us. Next time on PDQ, we will have a discussion with martial arts instructor RJ Lee, a black belt who can't help you defend yourself if you don't unmute yourself. Be sure to like and subscribe, check out our other episodes, and tell your friends about our new adventure. If you ever want to learn more, join our 5,000 member community by searching for Parenting Under Quarantine on Facebook. This has been Parenting During Quarantine. From our bubble to yours, keep hanging in there.